Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Victoria, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, October 3rd, and we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, beginning on page 37, the second paragraph, whatever the precise definition. The readers today are Michelle, Judy B., Sharon, Carol P., and Fran. The share code for yesterday's meeting on Tuesday, October 2nd, is 3097. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Anne-Marie, Recovered Compulsive Eater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our life had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our life over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had the spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to food, to compulsive eaters and practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Lois, would you read the 12 traditions, please? Lois, um, would you read the 12 traditions, please? 
Is Lois here? Can you hear me? Do you, now yeah, I can well, hear you now. Yes, okay, I can hear ahead. you now. Oh, okay. Go ahead, well, please. I've been speaking. Good morning. Um, number one, number one tradition, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. Three, the only, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be a- autonomous except in matters of affecting other groups, our, other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any any related uh, facility on outside enterprises. Less problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Number eight, Overeaters Anonymous should be refrain, forever, remain forever non-profit, non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may, we may uh, create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, other other public media or communication. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these foundation of all these traditions ever ever remaining ever reminding us to place principles before personalities thank you and I pass thank you thank you Lois how our meeting works our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous we read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. 
Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. The chapter, More About Alcoholism, on page 37, uh, the second paragraph, beginning, whatever the precise definition. Michelle, would you read that first, first paragraph, please? Yes, good morning, Victoria. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Michelle, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Missouri. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else? Um, well, this paragraph is um, is referring to um, what has transpired just previously. And um, looking just back to the, the sentence ahead, it says, yet for all reasons, um, yet all reasons, for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. So they're saying, you know, whatever the definition of the word insanity may be, this certainly is a picture of it. This certainly describes it. And we're wondering how this can override the ability to think straight. Um, and so if it does, you know, if I've got rational thinking and you know I'm, I'm intelligent and I'm able to read reason. How in the world um, did this insane thought enter in, and how how did I ever act on it? And if I if I look back to um, the previous page, um, page 35. I'm sorry, two pages ahead. It states that the mental states that precede the relapse into drinking um, is going to be described because they're saying this is the crux of the problem. So this big book, um, the people who uh, wrote this big book, is, they're trying to help me. They're trying to show me that it's the mental state that is the crux of the problem. Yes, I do have a physical allergy, and I do need to have a beginning. I need to put the food down. That is the beginning for me. But the real crux of the problem is the mental state that precedes it, this insane thought that overrides um, any any type of reasoning that I might have. And the big book, you know, we refer to that as the mental obsession. It's just that urge that overrides all rationale, all reason. And it's just plain insanity. Anybody who's reading this story could say, you know, and I want to almost shout to, to Jim, no, don't do this. You know, can't you see what this is going to do? Can't you see, um, don't you remember the suffering and pain that you had the last time you picked up that first drink? Um, Michelle, can't you remember what the pain and suffering was like the last time you picked up that first bite and where that took you? Well, you know, for, for reasons beyond um, my reasoning, um, no, for some reason I don't. I have the mind of a compulsive overeater. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Once a compulsive overeater, I'll always have that mind. And what the big book is trying to, to teach me is that um, that this is this idea is insane, and I myself no I, my my reasoning my willpower my my self knowledge is not powerful enough. I need a power greater than myself. I need to rely on on a power that I call God, that uh, goes beyond reason. His power and strength 
um, that's going to definitely lift this mental obsession that I suffer from that's going to, to help me to have that personality change that is sufficient for recovery. So this paragraph is talking about the insanity, that mental obsession that um, plagues every um, compulsive overeater. And um, I, need, I need to learn this. I need to use this big book as a textbook to teach me and show me so that I can learn and learn what others have learned, that I need the, uh, the spiritual toolkit. I need the steps in order to be recovered. Thanks for letting me share. I'll pass. Thank you, Michelle. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Yes, this is Rita. Rita, and then was it Heidi? Katie. Katie, Rita, and then Katie. Go ahead, please, Rita. Hi, this is Rita, a compulsive overeater. I mean, I just hated the word insanity to begin with uh, when I came into the program. I sat in the rooms year after year, Never looked at the big book and waited for a miracle. I just figured, you know, some miracle was going to happen. Of course, I wasn't insane. I'm diabetic. I was eating all kinds of sugar. And still, I didn't think I was insane. I wasn't like an alcoholic. I was just going to get some miracle one day. And I know now, dear God, thank you, God, that there is a solution, and that's God. And I'm so glad that I got to these meetings and that I realized that this cannot be done. The insanity will continue unless I go to God. There's no other way out. I've seeked it time and time again. And I actually am grateful today to know that I'm insane when I pick up. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Victoria, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Thank you. Thank you, Rita. And Katie, would you go ahead, please? I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater recovered uh, from Virginia. Um, We call this plain insanity. And we like to say that insanity is um, trying the same experiment over and over and expecting different results. Um, the definition in the, big, in the uh, dictionary is extreme foolishness or ra- irrationality. And irrationality is not logical or reasonable. But all of those things require that I would be thinking. And I didn't think before I picked up the food. I didn't go through this long list of um, how it was going to affect me. I didn't think about how it's going to affect me, the people around me, my day, my body, I just picked up the food. Uh, There was a time when I could, there was some rationale uh, before I would pick up the food. But it got to the point, due to the progressive nature of this disease, that I did not think. Um, And really, even my ability to think didn't stop me from picking it up. I needed a power outside of myself to help me to be able to think. That God consciousness is me actually realizing what I'm doing before I shove the food down my throat. I could not, um, there was a missing link between my hand and my mouth. And 
gratefully one day at a time, I don't, I don't have that anymore. I don't, I do think before I pick up the food, I do think about what I'm doing. God has shown me the way to not have to, um, to pick up the food. And, you know, the main thing is that that mental obsession is gone. I no longer want to do that. I have no desire to shove food down my throat. I am not white knuckling, you know, worried about Halloween candies of appearing in the grocery store because I'm going to want it. I don't want it anymore. I recoil as if from a hot flame. But when I was in the disease, I was just like Jim, that I did not think. I did not think and I could not think. That I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Would someone else like to share on what was read? Good morning, it's Leah. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead, please. Thank you so much, Victoria. Good morning to you. Good morning. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. And, uh, you know, we're in Chapter 3 here entitled More About Alcoholism. And what Chapter 3 is trying to teach me is that um, regarding this insanity it's devoted chapter three is devoted to the insanity that stems from compulsive overeating and it's actually talking about the thinking that takes control of a person like me a real compulsive overeater before i picked up the insanity that made me take that first bite or in this case made for instance jim uh have that thought suddenly crossed his mind that if he put an ounce of whiskey in his milk, it wouldn't hurt him on a full stomach. That's the type of insanity that the big book is teaching me about, that the problem, the trouble begins before they pick up. The trouble begins that they believed, these alcoholics believed and acted on a lie while they were cold stone sober while they were sober the insanity appears in the conscious sober mind of the alcoholic who drinks and it was the same story with me it appeared before i picked up that first bite so um what the big book is is teaching here is that jim's real problem wasn't that he had an allergy to alcohol his real problem stemmed from the insanity that told him it was okay to mix alcohol with milk So Jim's real problem centered in his mind telling him he could take that drink rather than in his body that ensured he couldn't drink. And that's exactly what I needed to learn about because if I did not understand the true nature of this insanity, the true nature of this foolishness of mine, of this delusion of mine, of this irrationality of mine, if I did not understand that, if I did not comprehend that, then I certainly wouldn't understand the necessity for the steps. You know, that obsession of the mind, the big problem with the mental obsession is that it kept me from seeing the truth, seeing things the way they were. Instead of the truth, I believed a lie. And worse than believed a lie, I took action on the lie. I took action on the lie. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. We're going to move on now to the next paragraph. Judy B., would you read the next paragraph, please? Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. 
You may think this an extreme case. To us, it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning. There inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day we would ask ourselves, in all earnestness and sincerity, how it could have happened. Another paragraph just completely describing the insanity that we were in. Uh, we just that that mental condition just um, didn't allow us to make a uh, a reasonable choice. We we just couldn't couldn't remember the past. We couldn't remember how how crazy it was to take that first bite, and um, and we were we were in the grasp of the disease and um just just horrible and uh back on page 24 it it describes uh you know the reason for this that that we have lost the power of choice and drink you know our our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent we were unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink, and we're without defense against the first drink because of our, our, our crazy thinking, because of that mental obsession. And uh, that's just why it's so important that we not take that first bite. We, we just... It it just takes us over, and I, it, this paragraph just reminds me of, of of how many times I had those insanely trivial excuses for for taking that first bite. And someone mentioned um, the Halloween candy, and I always remember that that was just one of my most difficult times. And um, it is just such a relief to know that. Uh, Today, that is not a choice. That is, that is poison, and that that can't be part of my uh, food plan. I'm just so grateful um, that that obsession of the mind has been lifted, and uh, and that will happen for all of us if we um, if we work the uh, spiritual part of this program. It's just there is a solution, and. Uh, it's just it's just uh that mental obsession has to be part of our past because um when we're there we we are lost we are in the disease and it it takes us over and with that I'll pass thank you judy this is victoria recovered compulsive overeater and these, this page in particular, even the pages before, really let me remember what it means that the big book is our text. Um, it is 
in this page in particular and the several pages before, it is teaching me what is alcoholic thinking. I mean, there have been references earlier to alcoholic thinking, but what is it? And together with what we learned earlier that the alcoholic must diagnose herself or himself. We cannot diagnose others. And in addition to practicing, attempting to practice some more controlled eating, our text is laying out an anatomy of alcoholic thinking here. It's breaking down the obsession of the mind in its very specific qualities so that I can diagnose myself. Um, it, first of all, it tells me that I produce an excuse, my mind does, and that excuse is always insanely trivial. It's not an excuse like there's a death in the family or a tornado is on the way. It's a trivial excuse. That's the kind of excuse my mind will produce. Secondly, it tells me that it has been characteristic, this kind of thinking that is being described, of every single one of us without exception. That if I am part of what Dr. Silkworth, in the doctor's opinion, referred to as that distinct entity of people for whom only entire abstinence is the option, I, if I am one of those people, this kind of thinking occurs in my mind. It lets me know no exceptions here. It also, thirdly, tells me that the insanity runs parallel with my sound reasoning. In other words, my sound reasoning is the bait. It's what's going to hook me. I can tell myself, whoa, that was a very sane, reasonable idea. My mind's on track. And this really goes to the cunning, baffling aspect of this disease. This describes the stealth of alcoholic thinking. I'm sucked in by what appears to be a reasonable idea. I've had several sandwiches. I'm taking alcohol on a full stomach. I'm taking it with milk. Another is that it always wins. It always wins. The alcoholic idea always wins. No exceptions. That dangerously deranged idea blows my sound reasoning right out of the water. And finally, this paragraph tells me, the next day I am astonished. What hit me? What happened to my mind? That is the baffling feature of the disease. We say that, you know, the big book tells us it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. Here's the baffling. What was that? I was just mowed down by a truck I didn't see coming for the 1,000th time. So it, the big book does a powerful job here of teaching me how Victoria, you'll need to press star one to unmute, please. Okay. I'm are we hearing are we all hearing those directions? Proceed. That pretty much 
Okay, that pretty much concludes what I was going to say. I think we're all back online, uh, so I'll pass. And would anyone else like to share about that, what was just read? This is Paula, may I share? Yes, Paula. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Well, good morning to you, Victoria, and all. I'm going to go to that line, our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. You know, I, as I looked at that, I kept thinking of going to the races, and you see the, you know, the horses behind those fence-gated thing, and soon the bell is going to ring. And they don't know when it's going to ring, but honey, it's going to ring. And they're ready to run. But that's it. Ready to run. But this is the strange thing. I'm ready to run to lose, not to win. The disease will win, and I will lose every time. The insane idea won out. Why do you go to the races and run the race to lose? But that I did. And then it said clearly, next day, yeah. Next day, we would ask ourselves, in all earnestness, and I really mean it. Haven't you said that? I mean it. In sincerity, how it could have happened. And yet we know exactly how it happened. And we're asking that question. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would someone else like to comment on what was read? It's Monica. Nanny? Monica, good morning. Go ahead, please. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Wow, this paragraph is really, like we said, this is a textbook here that we're studying, and this is really giving us some very, very important information here about the mental obsession, about this this insane uh, thinking of ours, this... Um, um, oh, Anyway, insane trivial excuses that we have for taking that first drink, you know, that, and that's the obsession of the mind. And I like to, the last sentence, I was going to go with that. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened and how many times I did this over and over and over again. You know, you wake up the next day, how in the world did that happen? Well, the next time, I'm going to pick up that phone. The next time, I'm just going to, no, I'm not just not going to do it. I'm just, next time, I'm going to understand this is happening. Next time, I'm going to know, hey, I'm having this crazy thought here. And I'm just not going to do it. But you know what? It happens, and it will always happen on my own. On my own, it happened every single time. No matter how much willpower I dug out or how much self-knowledge I had. And this is the reason why I need God. I need a higher power. Because this mental obsession is so powerful. It overrides anything I'll come up with. And I need to tap a power that is greater than anything and everything that can override this lie, this lie that I'm going to believe every time. And that's God. And, and that's what they're trying to get across to us, that we have this mental obsession, this strange thinking. And on our own, we have no defense against it. 
And so they, we need our steps and work through the steps to get a relationship with God to be able to tap this higher power. Because on my own, this is what's going to happen every time. And that's what did happen every time on my own. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kimmy. Go ahead, Kimmy. Hi, my name is Kimmy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Connecticut. And thank you, group, for all being here. Usually I'm not able to listen to this meeting live, so this is a real treat. I'd like to comment on the notion of having sound reasoning because it really, that is what kept me in the disease for so many years. That was really where the mental twist did a number on me. I had sound reasoning in so many areas of my life, or so I thought. My career was intact, had a good family, a loving spouse. I just couldn't find the right diet. And until I came into these rooms and started learning more about really where the sound reasoning had failed me, because it was really my own mental, I can do this. If I just find the right solution, I know that it's got to be out of there. How, how sound is that? No, that's completely not sound, the opposite of sound. My reasoning had been completely, had completely failed me. But yet the mental twist was that I didn't understand that until I came into these rooms and until I found God who, as I'm driving some days and I think to myself, oh, maybe I'll get this or I'll get that. And it seems completely sound, completely sound reasoning. I'm out about my day. Maybe I haven't had lunch yet. You know, I turn my food plan over to God. But, you know, there are times when I'll think to myself, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll get that. And thank goodness that today I have a power greater than myself in my life that can say, you know, really, question mark, is it really a good idea? And sometimes it is. Sometimes because I have that power, it is a good idea. But there's a lot of times that that insanity is just looking for the opening, you know, crack in the armor to come in and say, that's a good idea. And that sound reasoning can fail me in a heartbeat if I don't continue to enlarge my spiritual life. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Kimmy. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? It's Leah. Yes, Leah. Go ahead, please. Thank you so much. You know, I'm I'm so grateful that we study this text. I was missing out on so much, uh, sitting in those in many OA rooms. You know, um, without the information that's provided to me from this from this text. Uh, when I look at this paragraph, there's a few things that pop out at me. You know, it says, to us, it is not far-fetched for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. You know, the big book reminds me, it's in my thinking that all action is born in thought, that this is the greater aspect of my disease. See, I kept focusing on abstinence, but the real issue is my thinking. Abstinence... Um, <laughs> you know, as the end-all and be-all is like putting a Band-Aid on a fatal wound. The treatment is, is not adequate for the condition. You know, my, it's my thinking. It's my thinking. 
um, you know, when I'm abstinent, I'm dealing with the most dangerous part of my illness. The most dangerous part of my illness is alive and well when I'm not eating compulsively because if I'm not eating compulsively, then I'm thinking about eating compulsively because the real problem centers in my mind, in this strange mental twist that I have. Then further down it says, we have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon. Again, the big book is teaching me that my problem is mental, not emotional. I have a twofold illness, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, mental, mental problem, that strange, peculiar way of thinking about food that is different from normal people. It's a strange mental twist that forces out all thoughts to the contrary. And every single time, that strange mental twist of mine would win out. And then, of course, when I look further down, it says that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. And again, I wanted to focus on first, reminding me all action is born in thought. My problem is not when my fists have reached the bottom of the cellophane bag. No, my problem is that first bite. What is wrong with my mind? That's the real problem is my mind. My real problem is even after all the damage, even after all the consequences, even after all the suffering, even after all the pain, even after all the illness is explained to me in excruciating uh, detail, The problem is in my mind. You know, that's where the powerlessness is. I have no defense against that first bite. That is the real issue with a real compulsive overeater. It all centers in the mind. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Who else would like to comment on what was read in this paragraph? Do you need 90 days to share? Yes. Good morning. Go ahead, please. No. Hi. Good morning. Uh, I don't have my days yet. Sorry. Okay. Uh, are you not going to share? I said I don't have my days. Do I need? Do I need my days? Do I need to be abstinent in order to share? Oh, no, you don't. Anyone may share, uh, provided that it's related to what was read. Okay, so uh, I'd like to share. My name is Esty. I'm just listening to all the wonderful shares this morning. Um, I did pick up last night, and I feel like everyone out there is talking to me about the mental obsession. And I just, it's just it's a huge. And what was I thinking before I took the first bite? What was I thinking? Okay. Well, thank you very much, Esty, for your share. Uh, let's move on to the next paragraph. Sharon, would you read the next paragraph, please? Hello, this is Sharon, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, 
I want to make sure I'm reading from the right place. Page beginning with in some mm-hmm. page thirty-seven. Okay. Beginning in some, with in some circumstances. Okay, I just need to double check here. In some circumstances, okay. yes, we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervous anger, nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened. We now see that when we began to drink deliberately instead of casually, there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be. And here, here we see that Bill is, is going over the point that we've talked about actually for a couple of days now, just this strange mental twist that precedes a binge. What is going on? And, and he's going over it paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. We're examining this in great detail. And some of the things that uh, happen, uh, maybe we're nervous, angry, worried, depressed, or jealous. Um, And those things set us up because they move us out of the realm of of, uh, trusting in our higher power. It moves us out of the realm of the spirit and into our self. And then in ourselves, in our little small world, as Victoria was saying, we, we are not able to make clear decisions. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit, admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient. Even if we say, well, I was, I was um, worried, and so then I ate. Well, that really... You were worried, and so you ate. Now, how does that solve the problem that you were worried about? You were depressed, so you ate. Well, that's only going to make you more depressed. Now, how did that justify it? You were angry. Well, so you're mad, so you go eat. Now, that's still, you know, none of these things really, when you think about it, they're insane. They're they're totally insufficient to explain why we take that first bite. And... um there is this period there he that bill identifies period of premeditation so during the period of premeditation so there's that 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 moment before we take that first bite what's going on right then we don't think about the consequences we cannot we have this strange forgetfulness and um where we cannot see the consequences, that is a part of our disease. That and and it's it's really very frightening. That um, you know, it, when I think about it for myself, I've it's it's frightening to me to realize that I have a disease that could kill me, literally kill me, because I have physical, actual physical allergies that I will react, uh, I'm allergic to, to these foods. 
and my reaction to the foods will kill me. Yet, I will forget that I could die from this, from eating these foods. I forget that, and I eat them anyway. That is very frightening to me, and that's the consequence. And in that moment, there is always that moment that we can make that decision. And what do we do in the moments that precede that bite? And that's what we have to guard against. And that's why it's so critical for me each day to work this program, to work it as if my life depends upon it every single day and being in touch with other compulsive overeaters who, um, and being of love and service keeps me in touch with the, the, the fact that I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease that is very critical because I can overlook the consequences. And, 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 um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon. This is Victoria, compulsive overeater. I'd like to share in this paragraph. I, I hold this paragraph pretty dear to my heart. I, in the years of my time in OA meetings and in talking with other compulsive overeaters, there have been um, dire things that have happened in people's lives. There have been terminal diagnoses of children. There have been uh, there have been injuries so severe that they left lifelong impairments. There have been horrific losses. Um, life isn't for the faint-hearted. If we stick around long enough, you know hard, hard things can happen. And the test for me in my own mind, I've asked myself, Victoria, if you received a terminal diagnosis tomorrow, you had two months to live, would you pick up? And you know, when I was living in the disease, much as I wanted to stop, I would have said, well, under those conditions, of course I'd pick up. If I had only two two months to live, I'd Certainly, what, what does it matter then? Because my sick mind had not been relieved by a power greater than myself. Today, I know that if I should ever receive a terminal diagnosis or someone very beloved to me, that it is no excuse for picking up. There is no excuse of anything big enough or bad enough to pick up. Because in those last two months of my life, I would lose my joy in living. I would lose this peace of, of mind within myself that eluded me all of my life until I began living in the solution. I began leaning into a power greater than myself. So again, it's another insane idea. If you're going to die anyway, Victoria, why don't you make your last two months absolutely miserable? Pick up the food. Uh, this disease, this, this insanity does not quit, does not quit. And I am so grateful today to have a clear mind and to know what, is more important to me than anything else. 
which is continuing to live in recovery. And with that, I'll pass. This is Susan, Florida. I'd like to share, please. Good morning, Susan. Please go ahead. My heart is jumping out of my chest. I can so relate. I can so identify to these two chapters. I was living that death. I was given the death sentence about four years ago, actually more than that, many times, with my obesity. And the doctors would always tell me I was going to die. And it never stopped me from overeating. It never stopped me. Um, I had many, many, I've had many surgeries. I have vomited stool. They have told me if I continue to eat, they told my kids not to expect me out of surgery. Over and over, I had this repeated insanity, and I couldn't stop eating. Well, in 2007, I did stop eating, and I had lost 130 pounds. And then I was going for surgery to remove the fat and and uh, get the, uh, another hernia fixed. Well, the insanity that they talked about, the um, depression, spinal twist, Three or four days after surgery, I came to, you know, out of the anesthesia, and then they said I could eat something. Well, here it is. I just had this major surgery to keep me from dying, and I said, well, give me some whatever. I don't even remember. Sugar-free ice cream or whatever it was. I had no soundness of mind to re- to rely on a God of my understanding. I had no trust. I had no God, so I thought. And so this phenomenon of of craving that I had was so monumental that it superseded this last 10-hour surgery I just had. And for for the next eight or 10 months, I was in relapse after I had just lost 130 pounds. And to the grace of God, it took me about two or three years to find a wonderful sponsor God had given me now. And I understand it now. I understand what I was going through those last few minutes, those last few hours. So when you talk about having two months to live, I've had that two months to live too many times in the last 30 years. And now I don't have to eat obsessively anymore. And now I know that um, I, I can have a higher power that could keep me from putting that first bite in my mouth. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you so much for sharing, Susan. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Monica. Star one. This is Janice. Monica. Monica, then Janice. Thank you, Victoria. Yeah, this is Monica again, compulsive overeater. And this paragraph here, again, like has been said, they are just bringing out to us the importance of realizing that we have this insane thinking, this this un, this crazy thinking that that parallels our. You know, we can have sound thinking in everything else in our lives, not an issue. But when it comes to food, we have this crazy thinking. And um, I just lost my train of thought. Anyway, 
but we they're trying to get across to us that we need to see this we need to understand this and we need it says we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely sufficient in the light of what always happens they want us to really get this in our gut that every time I believed that lie, and the lie for me was always, it'll be different this time, Monica. It'll be okay. You'll be able to have just one or just two. And I would believe that stupid lie every time. And they're trying to get me to understand that this is a lie. It's insane. It's not reasonable, this thinking, that this is happening to me. And I'm going to need a power greater than myself to help me with this. And with that, I pass. This is Janet. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Leah. Thank you very much. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a compulsive overeater. And thank you, God, in recovery today. You know, this this particular paragraph, I love what it says about us as compulsive overeaters because it reminds me oh so clearly, oh so clearly, that it's a self-imposed crisis. You know, we're talking about Jim, who knew what he was who knew he was a compulsive drinker. He knew he was an alcoholic. He knew, like I knew, that he was a compulsive overeater of my type. And, you know, it was a self-imposed crisis because we have picked up deliberately, deliberately to go out to pick up, feeling ourselves somehow justified, somehow justified, you know, by anger, by worry, by depression, by jealousy, by grief, whatever, you know, name your tune. But what it is, is a disease of isolation, a disease so powerful that it had become my most common reaction to life, to the good times as well as the bad times. And I could justify and minimize and rationalize that kind of thinking right into the bakery box and the cellophane bag. And my pain indeed had no memory. I couldn't remember how horrifically I had suffered when I woke up the next morning after a particular binge. I could only remember what the food seemed to do for me. I couldn't remember what the food did to me again and again and again. Now, is this not insane thinking? Is this not insane thinking? And the insane idea once again would win out. Deliberately or not deliberately, that peculiar mental twist was always with me. And I'm so grateful today that we are reading about this and we are reminding each other what it's like. What it's like. Because there's something on the other side here. You know, we're heading into the information about the solution, powerful solution that this twisted thinking can be healed and we can have a spirit-guided mind, enlarge our spiritual life. But this is what we're up against. This is what I'm up against. And thank God I know who I am today. And with that, I'll pass.
Victoria, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Okay, I don't know what happened, but I lost my muting. Um, sorry, I'm back. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. Um, Carol P., would you please read A Vision for You? Um, yes. Carol P., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only... We know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>